God bless you. Let's turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 19 and verse 11. The book of Revelation, chapter 19 and verse 11. Revelation, chapter 19 and verse 11. This is a text today. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter 19 and verse 11, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Praise God. With the help of the Lord, I'll share a sermon with the title, Riding with Christ the Conqueror. Riding, say, I'm going to ride. Is anyone here who's ridden on a white horse before? <laughs> Hallelujah. I've never ridden on a horse before. But after this message, I'm telling you I'm preparing to ride on a white horse behind Jesus. Praise Jesus. Say, the armies of heaven. That is me. Hallelujah. We have a great future. And this sermon will help you. It's talking about your future. If you hold on, if you don't give in, if you persevere, amen. Let's talk about our future in Jesus' name. The devil wants to talk about our past, but we must remind him of his future and our future. Say with me, I don't know what your plan is, but I plan to ride on a horse behind Jesus. Praise God. We are part of the armies of heaven. We'll come to that later, but first let's talk about Jesus. Amen. So let's talk about Jesus. First, you know, when heaven opens and somebody sees heaven, make sure they tell you they saw Jesus first. If they saw something else, say, excuse me, um, you, you, you probably didn't see something. heaven. Amen. See, heaven is about Jesus. If you have been to heaven and you haven't seen Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, that trip has been wasted. Amen. So here's John. The Apostle John, the beloved Apostle John, we love him, great man of God. He was on the island of Patmos, as he uh, tells Christians, he shares with us, uh, because of the testimony of the Lord, he was uh, persecuted, he was in exile in Patmos. It must have been quite a, a depressing scene there. Uh, soldiers whipping, abusing uh, the prisoners, uh, nothing edifying. But in the midst of all of this mayhem, suddenly he is in the spirit. Praise God. Isn't our Jesus wonderful? When things look uh, terrible, when we feel, is, is this the reward for serving Jesus, choosing Jesus? And you hit rock bottom, then you see heaven open. Then you get an invitation to heaven. You don't get an invitation to heaven living a life of luxury in some mansion up in some, you know, uh, ivory tower somewhere. No. Often, the people of God saw the miracles of God in the worst places. Daniel and the lion's den. Yeah, He had to be thrown into a lion's den for him to see angels. The three Hebrew children had to be thrown into this inferno, this fire before they saw a fourth person walking in the fire with them. 
John had to be thrown into Patmos, a terrible place. People say, oh my goodness, I hope I don't end up there. Well, that's where you're going to get an invitation to come to heaven and see Jesus riding on a white horse. Hallelujah. Take me to Patmos in Jesus' name. So the first thing, you see, most of the apostles writing before John, they described what Jesus did while on the earth. Yeah. That's what Matthew speaks about. Luke, John, I mean, the Gospels, it's all about the works of Jesus upon this earth. But John is one of the few who describes what Jesus is doing in heaven. He describes scenes of Jesus in heaven. Hallelujah. It's wonderful to have the works of Jesus both on this earth, amen, and in heaven also. Praise God. I want to know what Jesus is doing in heaven. And thank God Jesus invited John to heaven to describe to him, to tell him this is what's happening. John, uh, write it down. Encourage my people. Hallelujah. This is where Jesus is. This is a beautiful place where we shall all be uh, in due course. Praise God. So after sharing about the glory of the Lord in heaven, he must have been overwhelmed with joy and awe when he suddenly saw heaven open and realized that after the 666, after the seals were broken and uh, the mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots and all of these terrible things, he even wept. He talked to the elders. He saw martyrs. Uh, the book of Revelation was not just uh, all blessing and joy for the Apostle John. Uh, there were many scenes there that were painful for him. But guess what? God will not send you back to the earth, John, without showing you the victorious end. Hallelujah. The, the best part. So the best part opened in chapter 19. Praise God. Suddenly. He saw heaven open. Hmm. It's like heaven closed. Yeah. It's like the curtain came down on the finale, the grand finale. And suddenly open again. And this time Jesus is standing there. He's sitting on a horse, white horse. What a mighty, powerful scene that must have been. The first thing he sees is the Lord mounted on a white horse. Let's talk about this. A white horse actually signified a war for peace. Somebody say with me, there is a war for peace. Amen. The time had come for the Lord Jesus to establish his peace upon the earth for a thousand years. Hmm, hallelujah. There is a war for peace. And Jesus will fight the ultimate war. Say with me, the last war. <laughs> the last war will not be fought by Satan. It will be fought by Jesus. And Jesus will conquer. If you love peace, shout hallelujah. Amen. Let me remind you that it, it's not an accident, a coincidence, that the last title of the Lord Jesus in Isaiah 9-6 is the Prince of Peace. You see? It's as, as if it's prophetic, yeah? 
because it says his name shall be wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. And finally, you know, it's like, uh, it's like almost there is a, a chronology. There is a progression to this. You know, in the Old Testament, they would call him wonderful. Then he was a counselor. And then he's a mighty God. And then he reveals himself in flesh and says he's the everlasting father. And now, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> Soon, the world will know he is the prince of peace. He is returning to bring his peace to this earth. Oh, hallelujah. I love that. Let me tell you why I love it. Because, you know, if you are like me, a news hound who can't stop trying to find out every day after I pray, read the Bible, I want to know what's going on now in the world. Yeah. Well, what's the president of the U.S. up to now? What is Vladimir Putin up to now? What's the prime minister of the U.K.? Well, what's he up to? You know, we've become news hounds. We've become addicted to what is so-and-so doing? What are the nations doing? What is Sky News reporting? What, what is uh, CNN uh, talking about? What is DW and Al Jazeera and uh, our local news? Sorry, uh, that's the world we live in. At least uh, it's part of my job to actually follow with what's happening in the world. Uh, so let me tell you, there are 32 wars raging in the world right now. Imagine that. Just right now while I speak. Over 30 wars waging are being waged, 32 wars that are conflagrations that basically are killing people in the hundreds of thousands right now. Let me tell you, when the Lord Jesus returns, the entire world will be itching for a war with Jesus under the Antichrist, or the Lord Jesus, mounted on a white horse, will enforce his peace. Hallelujah. Amen. How many here truly long for the peace of Jesus? How many here are tired of the news? Very often I read, I hear the news and then I say, Maranatha Jesus, come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen. I long for the day when the BBC will report. Sorry that I keep mentioning the BBC. They, they are like, to me, uh, the, the, standard, the gold standard of reporting in this part of the world. And uh, the BBC one day will report, uh, today, Jesus Christ returned. All wars have stopped. He's now in Jerusalem. And the world is making its way there to repent. And oh, hallelujah. Oh, what a wonderful day. What a beautiful day that will be. Amen. You see, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Amen. He is mounted on a white horse because that signifies a war of peace. Oh, hallelujah. You see, the last time Jesus rode on an animal, we know it was a donkey. And uh, he was on his way to bring salvation. According to Zechariah 9, 9, rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Amen. Shout. Amen. So he was bringing about salvation. You know, salvation is a slow process. <laughs> Somebody say amen. 
<laughs> it seems to it seems to uh, somehow uh, chime with riding a donkey. Yeah, because it takes time for people to understand what Jesus is doing. Yeah. How many years did God give the law and the temple and the prophets? And he came, he's the Messiah, and they still didn't understand. And they're still fighting with him. Salvation is a slow process. It's riding a donkey. But thank God that donkey came to us. Say with me, I received the salvation of Jesus on the donkey. Amen. Hosanna, they shouted. Hosanna, save now. You see, the donkey represented salvation. He's humble. It says he's humble and having salvation. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. You cannot follow Jesus riding on a white horse until you first follow Jesus riding a donkey. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. When he said rode on the donkey, there were some people who looked at him and said, Tell these children to be quiet. Those people receive no salvation. Those are the same people, their descendants will be in Armageddon saying to Jesus, oh, you, you want to come and fight us? We're ready to fight you. And Jesus will destroy them in less than a second. But we are not among those people. We are those who shout, Hosanna. You are fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. You have salvation. We will follow you on the donkey. Salvation is a slow process. You begin with Moses and then the prophets and then you come to the apostles. Hallelujah. It is like riding a donkey. But let me tell you, when Jesus rides a white horse, it will be quick. It will be lightning speed. Hallelujah. Uh, a horse does not move slowly in battle. A horse moves fast. Jesus will be swift on that day and we will charge with him. Hallelujah. Into the battle. To destroy the Antichrist and his armies. It will all happen so fast. In the twinkling of an eye. Praise God. We are not coming back on a donkey. Jesus is not returning on a donkey. The donkey is now. Jesus is still riding a donkey now. Find salvation. Preach salvation. But the time is coming soon. Jesus will be on a white horse. <laughs> the white horse. I can see that white horse neighing. It's full of fury. Hallelujah. Jesus has to keep pulling on its reins, holding it back. Hallelujah. It wants to get, get it over with. This white horse wants to charge into the battle. Praise God. And we are the armies with him. Amen. Maranatha, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Ah, God is good. So the white horse signifies speed. Somebody say, Jesus will bring in speed, a peace. Super speed. <laughs> Sorry to bring this up, but sometimes for those of you who know here in Norway, when you drive by car and you wish to drive to uh, Denmark, Germany, etc., uh, we we take a uh, uh, a cruise. Uh, there's a big ship. Uh, what do you call it? a ferry? Uh, a huge one. I mean, it, it can actually contain hundreds of cars and trucks. Uh, Colorline is the name of the company. And I'm always amused uh, when I notice that it has this name, color line, and then it's underneath it says super speed. And I always wonder, what do they mean by super speed? You know, I mean, okay, a ship can move a bit fast, but certain knots or whatever, but that's 
that's not speed. Speed is, you know, give me an F-16 or something. Give me Jesus' horse, hallelujah. That is super speed. Jesus will come like with lightning speed. Hallelujah. Amen. This time, it's not going to take time for him to establish his rule. Hallelujah. Amen. The lightning speed like return of the Lord will be a fulfillment of the constant prayers of generations who have been saying Maranatha, Maranatha Jesus, which means come quickly Jesus. He will answer. That will be the fastest prayer answered at that time. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. As I said, a donkey is slow. Salvation is to be considered carefully. It's to be given much time. But the return of the Lord is upon a white horse because the Lord has already given the world over 2,000 years to consider his salvation. Amen. So no wonder the Bible says time will be no more. Jesus will be filled with zeal. He's waited a long time because of his mercy. But when he returns, remember the words of the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Notice. Although the Apostle Paul is uh, not speaking exactly, uh, excuse me for a moment, he's not speaking about the same event that John is speaking about. He's speaking about what we call the rapture, the catching away of the bride. But notice, all the end events of the Lord happen in, the, in a moment, with speed, twinkling of an eye, because Jesus has waited long enough. That's why the Lord says, watch and pray. Because he shall return as a thief in the night. You know, if anybody is fast, it's thieves, yeah? You feel violated because, yeah, oh my goodness, I feel so foolish because that happened so fast. It's like a ghost came in and you weren't even aware. You just realize later something's missing. It happened so fast. Jesus' return, the events of the end time will not be slow. It will happen with lightning speed. That's why we preach now. We prepare people now. The donkey is moving slowly now. Salvation is moving like the donkey slowly. You can hear the uh, preacher shouting, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, hallelujah, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, hallelujah, amen. Salvation is slow. Salvation is patient. Salvation will, you know, when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, she, she was very rude with him. But Jesus ignored all of that. Salvation is patient. Hallelujah. Because Jesus wants to win her soul. She's talking about worshiping on a mountain and some superstition about Samaritans and Jews. And Jesus said, both of you are wrong. Both of you are wrong. The time is coming and now is. Hallelujah. Woman, I who am talking to you, I'm he. I'm the Messiah. Hallelujah. Salvation is patient. Salvation will allow a person to abuse the preacher. Salvation will, uh, can, needs revelation. Salvation will wait for, the, for ignorance to leave. 
Salvation will wait for the scales to fall from off the eyes. Salvation is patient and slow. But when Jesus returns, it will happen with lightning speed. It will be rapid. It will be super speed. With the only time we have to prepare is now. Things will happen too quickly later. No one will have time to say goodbye to anyone. Hallelujah. Nobody will have time to set their house in order. The day of salvation is now. Hallelujah. Because when the events of the last days begin to unfold, they will happen extremely fast. May the Lord help us. May the Lord help us. Praise God. Hallelujah. So the next thing we need to understand is Jesus who sits on the white horse is called faithful and true. Jesus is faithful to his promises. Can we say amen? If there is anything we know about Jesus, it is the fact that he is faithful to his promises. Amen. Jesus has not forgotten any of his own words. He is true to himself. He is true to himself. When you read your Bible, take everything there at face value. Every word is yea and amen. He will fulfill it. He said not one jot or one tittle shall fall. Nothing in his word can be invalidated until all be fulfilled. Every word of Jesus Christ in the Bible has a time, uh, you know, a time built into it. And it's like a click. clock is ticking with each prophecy. Hallelujah. Imagine, can you imagine that day when Jesus returns and the whole world, I can imagine there will be a collective gasp of the unsaved world. When they see the Lord, heaven is open and they all will exclaim, oh my God, he really has returned. He really has returned. Oh, hallelujah. I don't want to be there among those people to say that. I should know now Jesus will return. I believe now Jesus will return. I'm not, I cannot be there and say, oh my goodness, he, he really has returned. What do you think? Was he joking when he said, my kingdom is not of this world? Amen. But his kingdom is of the spirit. But at the same time, his, he has been... Uh, he has been bequeathed this earth. I say bequeathed because he is to inherit the nation. He is to rule the nation. Amen. That's his heritage. This earth belongs to Jesus. All the wars that have been fought. You know, can you imagine these crazy conquerors, whether it's your Alexander the Great, so-called the Great. Everybody's a great. And they're all dead. The Great dead. Or uh, Napoleon the Great. Or... Uh, you know, all of the Chengiz Khan, Kublai Khan, you know, all these marauding uh, bigots who are mostly demon-possessed. Where are they? What, what did, why did they shed so much bloodshed? Why did they kill 5, 10, 20% of the population of the world? For what? To conquer territory. And then you, how long do you rule over that territory? If you're lucky, a few, 30, 40 years, maximum if you're lucky. Alexander wasn't even that lucky. He died very young at the age of 30. So why, why all that bloodshed? 
Why all this conquering lust? Why? There's something wrong with humans. Jesus is the rightful owner of this earth. He's the rightful heir of this world. Isaiah 9, 7 says, the government shall be upon his shoulders. The wise men were looking for the king of the Jews. He will be not only king of the Jews, he will be king of the Europeans, the Americans, the Asians, the Chinese, everybody. The Africans. Oh, hallelujah. I wish they put that on the cross. The king of the Europeans. The king of the Africans. The king of the Americans. Praise God. Americans don't like kings. <laughs> they, they had a war against the British to get rid of a monarchy. But I can tell you, America will have a king. His name will be Jesus. Praise God. Amen. King Jesus. The whole world will be a monarchy. We will all say, hail King Jesus. Amen. So, this is the future. I'm talking to you about the future. I'm talking to you about the reality of the world and time to come. Because God is not a man that he should lie. All his words are yea and amen. Now John goes on to declare, in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. Let me repeat that. In righteousness, he doth judge and make war. Rest assured, there never will be a more just or righteous war than the war that Jesus will fight when he returns mounted on the white horse. This will be the last war in the history of nations. As I said earlier, forget Alexander the Great, Genghis, Genghis Khan, Napoleon and others. Jesus is the ultimate conqueror. Because with one word, the sword that goes out of his mouth, he will destroy the armies of the entire world at once. No conqueror has been able to do this. Which conqueror has just one word and destroyed all the armies of this world. Hmm. Say king of kings, king of kings. You know, Jesus has many crowns upon his head. One of those crowns is the one who conquered all nations with one word. Hmm, praise God. You know, I've heard of people fainting because of somebody's eloquent speech. But I've never heard of a person defeat the entire world with one word. I wonder what that word will be. Could it be that he just mentions his name? <laughs> Yahshua. And all nations fall down dead. Bang. Hallelujah. You remember when he said, they said, we are looking for Jesus when they came to arrest him. He said, I am he. They fell down. Bang. You see? With three words, they fell down. Jesus is going to use one word to kill all the nations that come up to fight against him. Hmm, hallelujah. Hey. We are on the winning side. Somebody shout hallelujah. Uh, I didn't prepare all of this. It's just coming in the spirit. It's amazing when God just takes over. Hallelujah. That is a sword coming out of his mouth. With what Jesus created the world with his word. Don't you think he can destroy the world with his word? Amen. Hallelujah. Ah, praise Jesus. We serve a mighty God. And I'm, I'm, this is not a cliche. When you receive new revelation and understanding of his power, it's amazing. There's something in you that just wants to explode, hallelujah, uh, out of 
you know, pure, sheer ecstasy, holy ecstasy, holy insight at what our God can do. Amen. Stop fearing the world. Stop fearing the devil. We have a God with one word. He's going to wipe out the armies of the world. They may have all their sophisticated weapons, nuclear weapons. Jesus is not afraid of nuclear weapons. Jesus is God. Hallelujah. Mm, the greatest conqueror. Never has the world seen a conqueror like this. Let's read Revelation 19 verse 15. Oh, hallelujah. I just want to explode in tongues. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. Glory be to Jesus. Revelation 19.15. Hallelujah. Revelation 19.15. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. Revelation 19.15 says, Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. Hmm. And with it, that with it, he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he threaded the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Oh, praise God. What a powerful God. One word, he flattens the world. Hmm. Ah, we need time to digest him. We sing the song, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty, indeed, what a mighty God. What a mighty God. Imagine one word. He said, so why does he need the armies with him? I have uh, news for you. We are just for decoration. <laughs> Somebody, <laughs> I, I'm not offended by that. I, I'm just, I will be with Jesus with a, on a horse for, for decoration. I'm called armies. See how good God is. He calls us an army and he doesn't need us. Do you think Jesus needs an army with him? Say, I'm happy to be a part. You know, when a general comes, there's got to be some pomp and some splendor. Yeah? There's got to be some, you know, uh, some basically uh, pomp, as we say, uh, so that people know oh, that this is a special guy. So we are there, you know, like uh, Major General Paul Thomas with Jesus, Major uh, General Owuso, Major General Ashabir, Angela, etc. Yeah, we're all decorated warriors <laughs> beside Jesus. Uh, Jesus doesn't need us. But he's happy to say, you're part of my army. Amen. Major General, hallelujah, sergeant, colonel, whatever. I'm happy as long as I'm called part of the army of Jesus. Hallelujah. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is not a war. It, it finishes before it begins. This, this is the most one-sided war. This is the most uneven war in the history of the universe. It finishes before it starts. Something comes out of the mouth of Jesus. Bang! Hallelujah! Smash! The world is uh, uh, totally annihilated. The resistance. Forget resistance. They, didn't, they won't even know what hit them. Hallelujah! Oh, praise God. We will be there. We will not fight. We will be witnesses to shout hallelujah. We are the worshiping army. We are the ones saying glory to be, be to Jesus. Hallelujah. He is good. His mercy endures forever. The kingdoms of this world have become the, the, the uh, inheritance of our Lord. That's my job as a member of the army of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. I'm looking forward to this. Praise God. 
John continues to describe, we're not finished. We're not finished. <laughs> Hallelujah. You can never finish with Jesus. John continues to describe this ultimate conqueror. In Revelation 19.12, Revelation 19.12, he said his eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. Ooh. You know, I, I, I have a problem to have one hat on my head, to balance one hat. If you give me one crown, I, I wouldn't know how to balance that on my head. But Jesus has many crowns on his head. Wow. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Ooh, hallelujah. This is amazing. I, 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 I'm overwhelmed by this message. Not often that the message overwhelms me, but, but this is Jesus and all his regalia. This is Jesus, hallelujah, flexing all his muscles, so to speak. And I, I'm the first to be slain, hallelujah. May the slain of the Lord be many, praise God. You see, a person's eyes are the windows to his or her soul, yeah? Now, the Lord Jesus' eyes burn with the passion of his soul. The passion to save and restore righteousness through his name. That's why his eyes were as a flame of fire. What is in the soul of Jesus? Fire, hallelujah. Fire for what? Fire, amen, to destroy unrighteousness. Amen. Praise God. That's the fire burning in the soul of Jesus. You know, I've often said I look at people's eyes and I can tell you a lot about what where they are in life. I don't know why, but I can just see it in people's eyes, whether they are sad, whether they are confident, whether they are happy, just the eyes tell the story. Jesus' eyes are full of fire. That means <laughs> he is on fire, literally on fire. He has been waiting for over 2,000 years. Don't you think, what does the Bible say? The zeal. Somebody say the zeal, hallelujah, John 2, 17. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Oh, praise God. Ah, oh, give us some of your zeal, Jesus. Give us some of your zeal, praise God, hallelujah. I wonder what is eating us up. Some people are eaten up by jealousy. Some people are eaten up by bitterness. Some people are eaten up by regret. I want to be eaten up with the zeal of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Share with me some of your zeal, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Do not doubt the zeal of the Lord Jesus to fulfill his word. Every time you look at your word and you see unrighteousness outside, there is someone in heaven burning with zeal. Hallelujah. The fire is being kindled in Jesus as we speak. Praise God. In addition, the Lord has many crowns upon his head. Oh, I can imagine what those crowns are. King of Solomon. King of righteousness. King of the world. King of kings. King of love. The list goes on and on and on. Oh, hallelujah. And when he conquers the world, he will get a new crown. Amen. You know, we were in Rome, Brother Victor and I. And I looked at these Caesars. You know, they, how many 
arches of victory did they have, Brother Victor? We saw Constantine's arch of victory. We saw Titus's arch of victory. I mean, every Tom, Dick, or Harry who was a, a, a Caesar, who would go and fight a war and conquer somebody or something, would come back and have this big march, and they would build a big uh, arch to them. And it really, and I was interested in one arch. Maybe Sister can find the picture of uh, what we call Titus's arch, where you can see the menorah. Did you know that when Titus, the prince, came to Jerusalem in 70 AD and destroyed the temple, he came back and uh, uh, he took everything from the temple. And uh, when he was uh, in Jerusalem, in uh, Rome, he basically made an arch to, to celebrate his victory. I have a picture that I took where I'm pointing at the menorah and uh, 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 Titus Arch Menorah. Thank you. And exactly. Yes, that's the, the one there. You can choose the first one, for instance. So if you go to Rome, as, as we did, you will find that there is an arch. Maybe if you go back, you can first see a picture of the arch of victory. Uh, the, the whole arch, the whole building itself, the picture below in the second row are there. Thank you. So this is the arch of uh, Titus, which means that when Titus, uh, not this one, if you just find the whole building. So when Titus came back, there you go. Thank you. Look at this picture. This is what the Romans did. Everybody lived to have such a, uh, a victory arch built for them. So this is dedicated to Titus, the prince. He came to Jerusalem, destroyed it, fulfilled the prophecy of Jesus. Not one stone will be left upon the other. He took all the temple treasures except the Ark of the Covenant. And he had this building built for himself. And they say that he would march through this arch while the citizens of Rome would uh, praise him and shower accolades upon him. And they would give him new titles, the conqueror of Judah and Jerusalem, the conqueror of Israel. And now we can look at the menorah that was there. If you go back to the first picture, uh, thank you. You will notice there, uh, I know those listening on the audio uh, will not be able to see this, but you can Google the, these names that I'm giving you. You see, uh, tourists who know the Bible and Jews and Christians come from all over the world just to see this menorah. Because when Titus destroyed the temple, he uh, commissioned these temple artifacts to be depicted on his arch. And this is how we know, this is historical proof that Titus went to Jerusalem and destroyed it in 70 AD, fulfilling the words of Jesus. So they brought all these things and the people who are carrying it actually are the Jewish slaves. So he was boasting that he enslaved the Jewish population, brought their most precious objects back to Jerusalem. Thank you. So with this in mind, now think about King Jesus. How many titles, crowns should Jesus have? <laughs> the one who destroyed the devil, who destroyed sin, who now overcomes the Antichrist and the nations of this earth. Is there a greater conqueror than Jesus? Ah, no. 
<laughs> never. Give him all the crowns. Give him all the crowns. Hallelujah, man. Praise God. With one word, he wipes out the armies of this world. I'm going to jump off my horse and just worship. Hallelujah. I'm, if I can, I'll put an uh, infinite number of crowns upon his head. Hallelujah. He's my hero. Hallelujah, man. Oh, don't you love just this notion, this idea of Jesus having conquered every enemy? The Bible says every enemy he will conquer. Jesus will not rest until every opposition is under his feet. Ah, hallelujah. What a sweet thought. How this must terrify demons. You know, whenever I, once in a blue moon, whenever it happens and I am confronted with a demon, I always remind them, you have the worst future waiting for you. I mean, every opposition is going to come under the feet of Jesus. You are finished, mister. There is no future for you. So we remind the devil where he's going. Don't doubt. He's, he's defeated. They make noise and terrify people, but he's, he's a loser. He's finished in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And saying Jesus, praise him. So I'm saying this because I, I still don't know why people fear the devil so much and they don't fear Jesus. The more you know Jesus and the more you love Jesus and fear him, uh, the more the devil becomes a non-entity. I mean, he disappears. Uh, into the majesty of Jesus, just pales him, um, you know, makes him invisible, in my opinion. The more you see the glory of Jesus, the less you see the devil. He's nowhere near. He runs off in Jesus' name. So, all these crowns upon the head of Jesus, where did they come from? Think about all the victories Jesus has won. Think about all the battles. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered sickness. He is there a greater ultimate warrior? None. I know in the wrestling world there was a guy who called himself the ultimate warrior. Yeah. And they all die young. Yeah. So these warriors, well, the moment they say, I'm Mr. Perfect, I am uh, so and so, suddenly death comes and knocks them on their bang. That's for saying you are Mr. Perfect or for saying you're Mr. Ultimate Warrior. There's only one who is perfect. Say, Jesus is perfect. There's only one who is the ultimate warrior. Jesus is the ultimate warrior. Muhammad Ali was called the, the lips from Louisville. He was fast and he could talk. And, you know, much as I sympathize because we have to understand the context, uh, the man was a hero in many ways. He stood up to an oppressive racist system. But I never was comfortable with the fact, growing up and hearing, hearing him say, I'm the greatest, you know, the greatest. And he would boast. I mean, the guy could boast. And then suddenly I remember what's happened to Muhammad Ali. He's speaking so slowly. The man who had such incredible wit, who was a, I mean, he could talk, fast talker, extremely intelligent. Uh, nobody, even the smartest TV minds, uh, anchors, uh, were no match for his wit. He would humiliate them. But you know what? He, I'm sorry, but uh, he was with the wrong God. Uh, he was not with Jesus. He was with uh, Allah. And uh, I don't believe Allah is God. 
And uh, suddenly, isn't it amazing that exactly where besides his, his muscles, fists and his, uh, you know, sting like a, uh, what do you call it? Float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. And suddenly what happens? Uh, God stings him exactly where, you know, he had this charisma and he was this incredibly, you know, he was just, a, you know, um, and he was a one-man show. But suddenly, his whole system began to shut down. He could hardly speak. You know why? I remember when Moses went and told Pharaoh, how long before you humble yourself before God? How long? Moses was surprised, actually. He's asking Pharaoh, excuse me, are you mad? God has struck you seven times. You've, your country is in a mess. I, I, I'm, I'm begging you on behalf of your people. Don't ruin your country. How long before you humble yourself before God? Oh, hallelujah. Say we humble ourselves before Jesus. Only he is the greatest. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. All glory belongs to him. Amen. Hallelujah. God said, if you boast, boast in this, that you know me, that we know him, that he's a God who delights in exercising mercy, goodness, righteousness. He delights in these things. I'm boasting in Jesus today. We shall have no other heroes except Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. So, none of the kingdoms of the earth gave the Lord a crown. Yeah? But, the church in heaven has bestowed some crowns on his head because I wondered where did he get all these crowns from? The church in heaven, the armies of heaven. We gave him. We, the church gave him crowns for saving us, for destroying sin. Hallelujah. Amen. Angels put some crowns upon him. All, the, all this happens in heaven during the seven years. So when he returns, Jesus is proud to take these crowns with him to remind the world that he has conquered everything. And the last enemy now is going to be conquered. Praise God. You see, to know the name of a person is to know his secrets, is to know his power, his identity. But John records that no one knew the name written on Jesus because no one will ever have power over Jesus. And somebody shout hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Do you know there's a name Jesus will have when he returns that no one can know except Jesus. Let us be happy with the name Jesus, which he has given to us for our salvation and blessing. Hallelujah. So there is a name that Jesus will have when he returns that no one knows. And if you ask him, excuse me, Jesus, what is that name? Jesus has the right to say, I think you should be satisfied with the name I gave you, the name Jesus. Hallelujah. Man. That name is enough for us because that name conquers everything. But you know, Jesus is coming with a name that no one knows because that name will destroy and conquer everything. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Romans eleven thirty three. There are some things about Jesus which are past finding out. Like this name. 
But we are not finished. Let's continue. Next, John writes in John 19, uh, Revelation 19, verse 13. Revelation 19 and 13. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. Oh, hallelujah. See, the Lord's blood at that time. And listen carefully to me now. Why is Jesus wearing a vesture, a garment dipped in blood? Is he coming to save somebody with his blood? No. The Lord's blood was not for the redemption of the nations anymore, but to require his blood at their hands. Amen. You see, it was not enough for Pilate to declare as he did. The Bible says in Matthew 27, verse 24, Matthew 27, 24, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. You see, there are many people who think that uh, I, I, I didn't kill Jesus. I had nothing to do with it. Uh, I washed my hands of it. No. We all have something to do with Jesus. We all must repent. We must be baptized in Jesus' name and receive the Holy Ghost, as Peter said in Acts 2.38. We must believe Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. If not, we will be guilty of the blood of Jesus. And Jesus will return with a blood-soaked garment. This blood is his blood. Because everyone must give an account of his blood which he shed on the cross for our sins. Amen. This is very serious. We can't say, I, I have nothing to do with his blood. I talked to Muslims over the years. They told me, we don't believe he, he died. Why does he need to die? This is a strange concept. And I explained to them. The Bible says, we're all sinners. Do you deny this? You know, in Islam, they actually believe that uh, uh, a person does not inherit sin. Isn't that amazing? We inherit diseases. We inherit even habits and traits and genes from our fathers and mothers. Science acknowledges this. But people don't want to acknowledge that we can inherit sin. Why do we die? I didn't do anything wrong when I was born. Why should I be born to die? We die because we've inherited genes of death. Come on. So, where did this come from? It came from our first father and mother. That's what the Bible says. The Bible is the best book which reveals the true nature of this world and human history. God made us. He should know our history better than anybody. Evolution doesn't know Jack. The world doesn't know Jack about, it, about our history. Only the God who made us can know our history. I trust him to tell me what happened. I trust him, he who made me, to tell me what happened, where things went wrong, why when I want to do good, I do evil. What law is working in my body? As Paul said, if you love the truth, you will believe in the Bible. You will love it. When I read these words, I cried the first time. So at last, I understand myself. At last, the book which is telling me what my problem is, what is the problem of this world today? We are sinners. We've inherited sin. 
God tells us this not just so that we can go. He's not interested in just making us feel bad. He wants us to have joy. So he wants us to know the truth. So that we can repent. And he came and died for us. If God is just a God who is up there, doesn't care about us and gives us orders, why will he come and he will shed his blood for us? Why? Why does he give his son, his body for us? Because God loves us. This is true love, brothers and sisters. The best friend we have is Jesus. If you love the truth, if you love salvation, the essence, the truth of the reality, it is the spiritual, not the material. Material is, it, 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 it can be a hindrance. It is short. It's ephemeral. It's short-lived. We need spiritual people. God is looking for spiritual people. Those who worship him in spirit and in truth. I, I know I'm digressing a bit. But you see, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if I preach that Jesus is coming as a conquering king, if we don't first follow the donkey of salvation. Thank God he's riding on the donkey because that, rep that means he has time for us. He wants to explain to us. He sends preachers and teachers, people who know what they're talking about, people who have experienced these things. I'm not speaking about some theory at the university. I'm speaking about my lived experience, which... Others have experienced, you have experienced. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody who later will come across this recording and say, what shall I do? What is salvation? I'm talking to you in Jesus. Understand that we are sinners. Nobody can save you. No father, no mother, no country. You can be born in the best country in this world. Your country may have gone to the moon and back 50 times. Doesn't one save you? Only Jesus, who is God, has the solution for our predicament. Only he can save you. And he saved you. All you have to do is accept it. He came. God came in a body. His word was made flesh. He dwelt in that body. He gave that body for our sins. He shed his blood. And that's why when he returns as the conquering king, he's wearing a vesture dipped in blood to say to the world, remember? Remember, I died for you. I paid the price for you. Remember my blood. What have you done with my blood? What have you done with the life I gave for you? Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus is not something to joke with. That's why in heaven they sing songs about the blood of Jesus. You have redeemed us from the nations with your blood. Oh, hallelujah. If you talk to Moses, Moses would talk to you about the blood of the lamb and how it ended 430 years of slavery. I want salvation. You should want salvation. Salvation is to be delivered from the power of sin. It is to have eternal life. Don't you want to live forever? It's abnormal to desire death. It is abnormal to desire sickness and evil and the judgment of God. It is abnormal to desire to be separated from God. We are brought nigh by the blood of Jesus. That's why he puts on his vesture of blood. Everybody facing him refuses blood. 
everybody behind him at that time accepted his blood. That's the story of the world. Those who are saved by the blood of Jesus, by the life of Jesus, will be marching with him as part of his army. And those in front of him rejected his blood and they come to fight him. Oh, hallelujah. Choose Jesus. Choose his blood. Choose to humble yourself. Do not meet. Do not share with the faith of Pharaoh who refused to humble himself. Though God gave him 10 chances. God was merciful to Pharaoh also. I mean, how many people get 10 plagues to warn them before they're fully destroyed? And you know what? God put 10 plagues and actually God still did not destroy him. He decided to run after Israel to wipe them out. See how merciful God is? He told him, okay, I judge you, but you know, you are too stubborn. Just stay in Egypt. I'm taking my people. He comes to fight God. But God buries him in the Red Sea. God is merciful. God is very merciful. He's a good God. He's your best friend. He's my best friend. He's the best thing that can happen to you. Choose him. The, amount, the, 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 uh, the volume of lies is just increasing by the day in this world. Then it's like the lies. I, I don't want to go off on a tangent there, but let me come back here. I just wanted to speak for Jesus for a moment. Appeal on behalf of his vesture of blood. Please give an account of his blood. Give an account of his blood. Let me put it that way. The Apostle Paul writes in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our salvation is great, brothers and sisters. It is great. Nothing greater than the salvation that God gave us. That's why we cannot stop talking about it. That's why I have to travel to tell somebody about this great salvation. I'm happy when I have people who are willing to give me at least one hour. Give me one hour to talk about my Jesus. Let, let me share with you the burden in my heart for my Jesus. God will always give me an audience till he takes me. He will give an audience because this is so great a salvation. It is so great a salvation. Let's continue. Revelation chapter 19 verse 14. Revelation 19 14 says, and the armies which were in heaven, followed him upon white horses, <laughs> clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Ah, now we come to say, we come to the me part, the you part and the me part. We gave glory to Jesus. He's the first, he's the last, he's everything. But there's also a little part for us. Let me preach in conclusion about that little part. This part makes me very excited. As I said in the beginning, I have never ridden on a white horse before. Forget a white horse. I haven't ridden on a horse, period. But I'm getting prepared to ride a white horse soon. 
Amen. The other day I was seeing white horses on TV and I said, ah, one of these days, praise God. Prepare for war alongside Jesus. Glory to his name. Notice that John writes the armies which were in heaven. He did not write the army as singular, but armies as in plural. Somebody shout, Amen. Let me tell you, Jesus has armies in heaven. <laughs> oh, wow. This gets more and more deep and amazing. Praise God. Did you know that Jesus has not one army? He has battalions and battalions and platoons and armies. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Brother Victor wrote, I rode a camel in Egypt. Yes. Thank you for reminding me. I've written something. Amen. Maybe the camel is more to bring gifts to Jesus. Hallelujah. It's also slow. We are slow in bringing our gifts to Jesus. The donkey is for salvation. But the white horse is invasion. Somebody say invasion. Praise God. We're an invading army. This is the greatest invasion in the history of the world. Brothers and sisters. Say the greatest invasion. It's not uh, Operation Barbarossa where Hitler unleashed 3 million people and then the victory day where the allies swooped down upon Normandy. Uh, all of that will be a Sunday school picnic compared to when the armies of heaven invade this earth. Brothers and sisters, this earth is going to be invaded one of these days. It will be invaded by the armies of Jesus. Jesus and his armies. Oh, hallelujah. You can't miss out on this battle. Praise God. Who would not like to sit on a white horse just behind the Lord Jesus? Who would not? As I said earlier, the Lord doesn't need our help, help, but he bestows this great honor upon us. In Romans 8.37, Romans 8.37, the Apostle Paul says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Oh, praise God. See how much Jesus loves us? That he enlists us as part of his heavenly army that will invade this earth. I would be happy to have the lowest rank in the army of the Lord Jesus than to have the highest title in the armies of this world. Let me repeat that again. We call this a quotable quote. I would be happy to have the lowest rank in the armies of the Lord Jesus than to have the highest title in the armies of this world. Oh, praise God. And if you agree, say amen. Praise Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. I have preached before about the white linen garments years ago. I won't say much except they symbolize the heavenly body of the Lord Jesus Christ. White linen. Because it says the saints were clothed with white linen. What does that mean? Well, if you study the Old Testament, you will find that linen was a material God commanded the high priest to wear after he washed his body and entered the holy place and the tabernacle and subsequent temple. For instance, let's look at the book of Leviticus, chapter 16 and verse 4. This is a beautiful verse. Please write it down because the mystery of linen garments is found here. It says in Leviticus 16, verse 4, he shall put on the holy linen coat, that is Aaron and his sons, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, 
and shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with a linen mitre shall he be, he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on. So what this symbolizes is that, you see, after the priest and the high priests, uh, the high priest and the other priests uh, sacrifice the animals, as you can imagine, their clothes would be covered with blood and stained. So what they had to do was wash in the, uh, the, what was called the, the lava basin. And once they washed, they had to proceed to the holy place and the holy of holies later. The high priest had to put on linen garments. But clearly, linen was associated with something unique, something special. And what that something special is, is that it pointed to the New Testament uh, uh, ceremony or ritual of baptism in the name of Jesus. Because see, when we are baptized in Jesus' name, the Bible says we put off the body of Adam. It's like we remove those bloody garments, sin-stained body, cursed flesh. And then we put on the linen garments. So the linen garments represent the holy body of Jesus, which is of the word of God. The word was made flesh. In Galatians 3.27, the apostle Paul says, as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So this is spoken of as like a garment. Just as the high priest put on linen garments, they were holy garments. We also put on the body of Christ after baptism with which we can enter heaven. Somebody shout hallelujah. There you have the mystery of baptism in Jesus' name and why it is commanded in the name of Jesus. That's why in Ivory Coast, we did not rest until we told everybody, even pastors, if you are not baptized in Jesus' name, you cannot enter heaven. You cannot disobey Peter. Peter loves you. He wants you to enter into heaven. Imagine if all your sheep go to heaven, enter and you, the pastor, you are locked out of heaven. Come on. And God had mercy. Uh, we heard later that uh, one of the leaders, the main pastors, bishops, he decided to be baptized in Jesus. So God is good. This is our job to travel all over the world and tell people. We want them to enter heaven. Amen. That's our joy, our rejoicing. So that in the future, when I'm sitting on my white horse and they are sitting on their horse, we look at each other and they will be so thankful that somebody told them about this linen garments. Because what does it say in Revelation 19:14? Let's look at it again. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. This is the body of Christ. We want everybody to be in that army. So we tell them, be baptized in Jesus' name. Put on the holy linen garments because these garments are the garments, hallelujah, of the saints which are in heaven. Hallelujah. In fact, the Bible actually makes it clear. And that's why I'm telling you that there is a mystery. And that's why I had to dig out that mystery. I had to prepare it years ago and I talked about it. But Let's look at Revelation 19, verse 8. Revelation 19, verse 8 makes it even more clear what this linen garment is. It says, and to her, that is to the church, was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. There you go. Somebody shout amen. 
So what is the fine linen? Do you think that, uh, look, I, I have linen in my wardrobe. You know, I use it when I'm preaching and to illustrate this message. Do you think that that linen makes me righteous? No, it's pointing. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. He is our Jehovah Sidkenu, Jeremiah 23, the Lord, our righteousness. When you put on Christ, you have put on linen garments. Amen. The church has been given these garments. How? Through baptism in Jesus. When you put on Christ in baptism, you have linen garments. You are righteous. When the devil looks at, devil looks at us today, he knows we are wearing linen garments. He knows that we are the armies of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows everything. We have put on Christ through baptism in Jesus' name. And now we are part of his army in heaven. Praise God. So let me conclude by saying we are now made kings and priests unto our Lord. Because Revelation 1 verse 6 says, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are not destined for defeat, saints of the, of the Lord. We have just read about our glorious destiny. I've, I've just preached about our glorious destiny. We have a calling to be part of the armies of the Lord Jesus when he returns. See how good the Lord is? He knows how sin, the devil in the world has tormented our faith. So he invites us to return with him enlisted as heavenly soldiers to cleanse the world of all the forces that sought to destroy the Lord and our faith. Do you understand? Are you not tired of all the trouble the world has been given our faith? I will be very happy to join the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. And see what he does on that day. Let me conclude with a scripture from the book of Micah, Micah chapter 7 verse 8. Micah 7 verse 8 says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Hey, hallelujah. This is what the church should shout. What a glorious future awaits us. John was in Patmos, as I said earlier. It must have, been, uh, must have appeared very dreadful and depressing. But now he saw the Lord and his armies returning and conquering the world. He could return to his captivity with, with a smile and renewed joy. Because he knew the true story of the end of the world. Wow. What a powerful revelation he received. And he has shared this with us. Now we know what John knew. He shared it with us. We too can go back to our daily lives with a smile. Knowing that we shall be conquerors in the end. We will win. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Jesus bless you. Why don't we pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message. You are edifying your church in these last days. You are preparing them. You're reminding them of that wonderful scene, that incredible moment when you shall return and we will be part of the armies of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us once again that with one word you shall wipe out all opposition, all evil, Evil will not torment us forever. The opposition will one day succumb to the prophecies of the word of God. We look forward to that day. Our faith 
says this will happen. And we say, Maranatha, Jesus, come soon, Lord Jesus. Until then, help us to occupy. Help us, each and every one who is here and those who will be reached through the recording. We pray you bless them. We pray you help them to prepare the best they can with your help. You are on their side. If God be for us, who can be against us? Let them continue to engage in the battle. Let them continue to serve you. Let them continue to love the name of Jesus. Work your work wherever you've placed them in this world. But in due time, soon you will gather the church together in one place in heaven. Bless your people today. If there are needs here today, acute needs, uh, those who need healing, those who need a touch in their finances, those who need questions answered, those who are suffering with some pain in their bodies. Lord Jesus, you are their God. We are complete in you. You have everything that we need today. And I pray that you release your blessings. Give them a touch today, a healing touch. Let let virtue flow out of your garments today and bless your people. Meet their needs. Give peace to those who need peace. Give faith to those who are struggling with their faith. Those who should be ministering and may have left their ministry, renew their call, renew their burden in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. This is not the time to stop and look back. This is the time to keep walking on the straight and narrow road. Bless your people, edify them. In the name of Jesus, I pray all this. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, 